Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound just like no bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Welcome to Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. This is visit number 28, and I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host, standing by my partner in crime, J-Man, the Snarl, along with Wild Man Will, Canadian Lady Trucker Janet, and tonight's special guest, Motorhead Mark. So... We're going to talk a little bit about hockey first, guys, before we get into it, because I know some people want to know what's going on with the regular season. Nobody understands it. I'm just going to make it simple, stupid for you, okay? The, in the West, the wild cards are Seattle Kraken, okay, with 94 points. Winnipeg Jets and the Calgary Flames are all tied at 89, although the Jets have one game in hand, and the Nashville Predators are close at 86 points which means it's basically a dogfight between the Jets, the Flames, and the Predators. In the East is the Florida Panthers, the New York Islanders at 87 points, with Pittsburgh close at 86 points. Last but not least, if the playoffs started tomorrow, it would end up being Boston versus either Pittsburgh, Florida, or the Islanders, depending on where they end up. The Battle of New York with the Rangers and the Devils, uh, the possible meeting between the Islanders with the Carolina Panthers, and Toronto meeting Tampa Bay. And I know, Mark, you have somewhat of a vested interest in that one. In the mm. West, yeah, my Dallas Stars would probably end up meeting their arch nemesis, the Minnesota Wild, where they originally came from being, of course, the Minnesota North Stars. Colorado will meet the underdog Seattle Kraken. I would love to see the Kraken kick the Colorado Avalanche's butts. That would be awesome. And Edmonton in a remake with uh, last year's LA Kings. And either Vegas will meet the Jets, the Flames, or the Preds. So that's simple. So, Let's talk about this week. We missed the podcast last week. Um, I was visiting my granddaughter, Rachel. Can't miss granddaughters and their visits. And, of course, my business partner, Jay, was having an attack of gout, which he's going to be talking about one of his topics tonight. And we're also going to feature another great single by the icons of rock, that 80s band, Fist, which I'm proud to say that we are affiliated with. Uh, tonight, we go over a song called Wolves, and uh, I think you're really going to like it. The first thing I want to get into is we do not have Spreaker anymore. Their history, uh, we are in the process of looking for another commercial podcast service, so this is going to be pretty much commercial-free. So I hope you guys have good lungs. Um, I've known this guy for about two decades now, plus uh, – Mark and I met back in Victoria on Vancouver Island, and it was uh, quite an interesting meeting. Back then, if you can believe it, your bry guy was selling Electrolux vacuums. Wasn't I, Mark? <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> you were and, limitless. Yeah, I was. I was, definitely. And now I want nothing to do with sales. Go figure. <laughs> I get a phone call from a telemarketer, and I tell him, F off. That's <laughs> what I tell them. <laughs> they can't even get into their spiel, right? So um, I ended up with a, a really great friend, and I also ended up with a amazing car. Like, wow. You sure did. I sure did. What was that car, Mark? That was a uh, 1977 Celica GT that I had 
put a lot of time into. You sure did. That thing could that thing could hug the corners. It was such an amazing car until I broke the seat. And uh, my wife Carol will tell you that story. We actually had a suitcase when I when I came to uh, Alberta. We actually had a suitcase that was stuck behind it, um, and. Uh, yeah, it, it stayed there for the longest time, um, and uh, then I ended up getting a 92 Dodge Daytona, but we won't get into that. Mm-hmm. What I do want to do is talk about our special guest. What are you all about, and uh, let the freaks know a little bit of, of what you've been doing. Well, like you said, you and I met uh, more than a couple of decades ago. It was approximately 1989, and uh, back then you were into sales, and I was into sales. I was selling cars. You were selling vacuum cleaners. And uh, we met, we, we made a couple of deals together, and, and uh, I was just getting involved in um, a bit of a racing career at the time. I was already a trucker at the time, and um, I had been very interested and intrigued with Western Speedway since I was a little kid. Uh, first time I ever went there was 1968, so um, I'm, up until last year when they, they closed the doors, I'd gone there almost every year, except for when I joined the forces and was uh, stationed back east for a while. But yeah, I've been a trucker and a racer ever since you and I have known each other. You got me into racing too. Yeah, so I blame you for that. <laughs> um, well, I, I probably pushed you a little bit to get involved. It's it's uh, it's an entertaining sport. It's uh, it's a it's a sport of adrenaline. And uh, a little bit of math and a little bit of know-how and a lot of courage. And I give you credit. You you, you are the tops in that field. You, you missed your calling. You, you definitely should have gone NASCAR because I've seen your race. I beat you in a race. I can actually say that. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> Somehow I knew this was going to come up. Uh, well, you know what? Yeah. For our panel, yeah. uh, they all probably want to know how that that actually transpired. I already know. Well, we're gonna have, we're gonna have Mark's version of the story, but then we're gonna have. Well, I already, I already know what happened. He broke down just before the finish line, and you passed him. <laughs> it was very close. It was very close to that. Actually, it was very very close to the truth. <laughs> But I also did something, the very first thing that Mark was telling me the other day when mm-hmm. I was talking to him, and I thought that was quite cool. What did I do, Mark? Well, there's been a lot of activity on the track. There's lots of little ways to crash and make a spectacle of yourself. But Brian, he did the spectacle part, but um, he didn't crash. He actually, I don't know how he pulled it off, but he got two wheels up on the the front front stretch or back stretch? I can't even remember now. Front stretch. That was a front front stretch. He got two wheels up onto the front stretch wall and drove all the way down the front stretch wall with two tires on the track, two tires on the wall, and he did not crash. <laughs> Weaving in and out of uh, cars that were coming by. It's, yeah, it was yeah, it was like it was crazy. He, did, he didn't lift. He, <laughs> no. he did not lift. It was nuts. It was. It was. It was. But, we we did race one race and um, I, well, we I raced more than once. Oh sure we did. I'm sure we did. But you, you, this you is did, my golden you, moment. <laughs> I got a I got a flag. It's a blue flag with a yellow stripe. It says move over. Or, sorry, a couple of people were getting the flag. Move over for faster traffic. And I 
kind of was like, wait a minute, I'm leading the race. Why do I have to move over? Why are they waving this flag at me? So I slowed down for a moment, and I mean just a moment, and Brian went by me, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? What the heck? So in, I, in, I, his, I, in his Firebird. Yeah, always in his Firebird. And I, I, we put a lot of time and effort into making our cars look good. So Brian goes by me. There's one lap to go. He gets the white flag. I come up behind him coming out of turn four. And I literally, he was blocking me. I moved high. He moved high. I moved low. He moved low. So as he got the checkered flag, I absolutely stoked into the back of his car as hard as I could hit him and shoved him off the front of the track. Yeah, and then he did. <laughs> and then I turned into the pits. Now, there was a certain somebody up in the grandstands that was in watching Brian that night was very unhappy with me. Thought I was yes. in a really poor sport. Yeah. <laughs> that was my videographer. We won't go yeah. into No, 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 no. <laughs> just, nope. no just, just to somebody. And uh, But Brian did, you know what? A win is a win. And I, I gave it to him. I, I've given him a hard time for 30 years for it. But uh, yeah. for a bit and we had a beautiful car um, we had a great team 
We had lots of experience going into it um, between Randy and myself, between building cars and racing cars. And um, my son, Brennan, uh, was on our pit crew, still is on my pit crew today. And uh, we sold the car and I got into stock car racing and I, I did that for a long time. And uh, a couple of years ago, I finally sold the car, but I raced it for almost 10 years, I guess, eight, eight to 10 years, somewhere in there uh, at Western Speedway and Penticton Speedway, Agassiz, uh, Saratoga Speedway up, up in the north end of Vancouver Island. And we went down to Wenatchee and South Sound Speedway. Like we, we did a lot of traveling with that car. It was a lot of fun. And now Didn't I'm in Thunder Cars. I did actually for one season. I did uh, my just when I was ending my claimer uh, racing series. I got into Thunder Cars with a very interesting character by the name of Mark Shop, and uh, he had a Thunder Car. And he was looking for a driver, so he offered me that ride, and it was great. I got Rookie of the Year, and uh, we set fast time a bunch of times. We won a couple of races. And uh, unfortunately, his mother got sick, and they had to sell the racing program. But I really enjoyed it, and that's how I got my feet wet into uh, it was a predecessor to the stock car racing. And now I race in a series called the Old Time Racing Association, and my race car is a 1930 Ford two-door sedan, open wheel, no fenders, and they're actually faster than the stock cars. Yikes. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. It's like racing a hot rod. I know, I know J-Man there was definitely intrigued when I was telling him about that. Yes, yes I was. Well, I've always liked there. racing, um, but uh, I never got into it myself. I mean, we used to goof off when we were teenagers. We'd buy old wreck cars and get them running and take off up to the logging roads up behind Hope and just tear ass around and shit like that. But, I mean, nothing sure, nothing organized, nothing organized. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's a lot of fun, too. I did a lot of the, the... I had an old Volkswagen bug that was far from legal. And when my parents, when my parents weren't looking, uh, we would sneak out and take it off into the woods and go up the logging roads, and we had a lot of fun. Yep, tear around, you know. Absolutely. We all have those cars. Every mm-hmm. one of them. You bet. Fortunately, today, the cars that you get today, they just can't stand up to that kind of punishment that we <laughs> we used to do. No, um, not at all. Who are cars, right? They just couldn't they couldn't handle it. No. No, not at all. Well that's because they're made of plastic. Well yeah, pretty I mean, much. You know, we would take these wrecks out and uh half of them were running on on six cylinder or on five cylinders instead of six and by the time you got home it was running on four. <laughs> you, know, was, you know, you were lucky it was running. Yeah, that's right. You know. Um, but anyway, move on, Brian. You you have right. something to say. Well, we're going to get into the topics. Um, so, Janet, what are you talking about tonight? Uh, well, uh, today is the fifth anniversary of the Humboldt crash in Saskatchewan. And right. I'll be talking about that. And uh, later on about the hydrogen trucks that they're bringing out. Okay. All right. Okay. And, Jay, we already know one of your topics. What's your other topic, Jay? Oh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a really, really, really good actor that, uh, surprisingly, it shocked everybody. 
that he passed away, and that was uh, Ray Liotta. Right, right. Okay. Mark, what are you going to talk about? Well, you know, you brought up my history, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of Western Speedway, and I'm going to talk about how the uh, Claimer Racing Program uh, got started and uh, how it got you and I involved together at the track at the same time. Sure, sure. And, well, what's on your mind tonight? I will be discussing the new CBDCs that are supposed to be coming out, the central bank digital currencies, um, which, I, I mean, if, if people aren't familiar with it, it's uh, basically like self-explanatory, a, a digital currency. And uh, I, I, I got a few other subjects. Um, there's there's one about uh, Russia and Ukraine. It's a hack. Um, still not sure if, 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 if I want to, you know, talk about that one. Okay, and I will continue with my series on urban legends of the United States. We go through each state, and something a little bit different. Um, we're going to be talking about something I know Janet knows lots about uh, in her trucking career. U.S. audit raises significant questions about Canadian meat inspections. So that will be very interesting. So... I'm going to let Mark start first. So, uh, Mark, you can tell us a little bit about Western Speedway and its history. I'm sure lots of our trucking people out there probably don't even know about. Okay. Um, a fellow by the name of Andy Cotton back in uh, the early 50s was looking to do something a little bit different from the, the original Langford Oval, Langford Speedway, and he bought this big piece of property, I think it was 53 acres, and where Western Speedway now sits. And um, he had the idea of building a, a much larger oval, which uh, with the ability to have a much larger uh, spectator uh, base to come and watch the races. People had been starting to show more and more interest. And it took him a couple of years to put it together. And in 1954, he opened the gates and uh, all the racers from the Langford Oval came over to Western Speedway. And um, the first season, it was dirt, and then they paved it. It's a, it was actually measured out as a four-tenths mile oval. And uh, it was the largest, for the longest time, I think it might even still be, was the largest oval track, paved oval track, um, in Western North America for the longest time, and still is today for Western Canada, although the track is now closed. And um, they had a few different series over the years. They had jalopies, and they had hobby stocks, and they had what they they called stock cars back in the days, which was cars from the 20s through the 30s and 40s. And as time progressed through the 50s, they... Uh, the, the fan base just grew exponentially. It was it was amazing how much um, activity was happening out there. And as time went by, people wanted to be entertained more and more and more. Or Orville the Clown used to come out there and blow himself up. And uh, he would jump over cars and blow up the car he was in as he was jumping over the cars. And um, there was a couple of different stunt and thrill teams from California that would come up to Western Speedway and put on big performances and have ramps set up and run on two tires. And um, and then as time went by, the, the promoters started getting greater and greater ideas, and they, they really started to expand, and they repaved the track, and they uh, 
late 60s, and um, they got bigger grandstands. They had wooden grandstands for the longest time, and um, a gravel parking lot. And uh, as time went by, they expanded all of that, and they ended up paving the parking lot, and it was huge. I mean, I, I first went out to Western Speedway to see my first race in 1968, and I was only five years old. And it was it just, it was a thrill. It was like uh, seeing people do some of the things that you, you hear about or you watch on TV. And, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, I watched Elvis Presley drive a race car in two different movies. And uh, all of a sudden I was there, I was watching it. You know, ABC Wide World of Sports would come on and show highlights of different races and different genres of, uh, you know, through Formula One and, and NASCAR, which was called the Grand National Series back in the day. And uh, all of a sudden, here we are, we have it in our backyard. And so dad started taking us regularly and I got interested in it. I got interested in cars. My dad had a garage. And uh, in 1969, I went to the garage on a Friday night, and my dad's mechanic, his name was uh, Denny Rand. And Denny eventually went on and opened up Rand Automotive, but Denny was there with his driver uh, of the race car, and it was Roy Haslam. And Roy Haslam was one of the biggest names, synonymous with Western Speedway. Um, so yeah, I got I, just a little six-year-old kid, and I get to see this car in the shop. And, and I, I was just in awe watching these guys work on the car and he fired it up and the loud exhaust and the rumble and, and I was like, oh dad, can we go to more night? Can we go to more night? You know, being a little kid, uh, wanting to, wanting to go and see the races. So my dad started taking us regularly and it was, uh, it was something that got into my blood and, uh, I, I just started to really get intrigued by cars and motors, and I started to learn how to uh, build motors and rebuild motors and rebuild rear ends, and um, I, I, I got very, very intrigued by it uh, in the 70s. We went out to the very first Canada 200 in 1972, and drivers from all over the Northwest, guys from from all over California and, and Boise, Idaho, and... Uh, um, uh, oh, Utah, and there was there was drivers from all over that came up to this race. They had a big purse, and it was uh, publicized by back then. FM wasn't as big as AM, and CKDA was the big radio station back in the day. And uh, they were a big sponsor and supporter of the racetrack. So, uh, anyways, we went we went to the the first two hundred and. I told my dad, I said, one day I want to do that. One day I'm going to be out there racing on that track. And uh, it took a while. But in 1987, a buddy of mine uh, had noticed that I had a big passion for Western Speedway and that I had been out there and talking about it for my entire life, just about it. From five years old until I was in my 20s, I was Western Speedway, Western Speedway. And Janet Guthrie raced at Western Speedway. A lot of the NASCAR people's, came, uh, um, Bobby Allison came out and uh, Derek Coke came out. Uh, I can't even remember all of the, the NASCAR people that came out. Harry Gant came out. Um, and so a lot of NASCAR guys were running the Western Series. And uh, when they were running the Western Tour Series, they came to Western Speedways. They came out for a couple of years in a row. And... Um, Western Speedway was a, 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 a place that 
because it was so big, it attracted some uh, really, really uh, high-end racing. We had what they called the uh, Super Modifieds came out to Western Speedway. And the Super Modifieds, the engine sits outside of the car on the left with a big wing on the top and a big wing on the, on the front. But the entire engine sits at a 45-degree angle, and it sits on the far left side of the car. And oh. I've, I've never seen anything like that before. So, Mark, I got yeah. one question. Hey, I know why I picked number 55, okay? That is, that, that's not a, even a, a thought. You know, I can't drive 55. Sure. How come 47? You know, I've been asked that a lot. And um, my favorite number in the whole world was 27, mostly because of my birthday. Um, but uh, Billy Foster back in the 60s, late 50s and early 60s, raced at Western Speedway. And he was one of my dad's best friends when they were growing up. They played hockey together when they were teenagers. And Billy had a passion for racing, and he became a superstar. He ended up in NASCAR, and he was number 27. And I watched him with my eyes as big as saucers, and um, he did some amazing things with racing, and I wanted to have that number. But when Billy Foster passed away, from a tragic accident at Richmond International in California. Um, uh, unfortunately, when he passed, they, they retired the number. Not unfortunately that they retired the number, but unfortunately that he passed. They retired the number 27 at Western Speedway, and nobody was allowed to race that number anymore. And um, I thought, well, i I, I got to have something at least with a 7 in it. And the first 10 numbers, if you remember, Brian, the first 10 numbers were reserved for the previous season top 10 drivers they could right. pick the number one through 10 so i couldn't pick seven 17 was already gone 27 i wasn't allowed nobody was um 37 was carrie steen and um the next number in line with a seven and it was 47 and my dad said you know fours and sevens run our family he says that's a great number so i picked it and i've i've had that Almost my whole career, not quite all of it, but most of my career, I've been 47. Okay. So, so are you a numbers guy, just out of, quest, out of curiosity? <laughs> a little bit. Okay. All right. Because yep. uh, yep. I've done all these guys' numbers. We haven't done yours yet. Maybe in a future podcast, we will. Jay has a really, really in thing about this. Because uh, cool. Janet's a nine. Will's a nine, and I'm a nine, and Jay's a five. Yeah, so I'll be intrigued to know what you are. Uh, well, I'm, I'm open to that idea. Sure, we could check that we'll, out. We'll expose it. We'll expose yeah. it for sure. So, okay. Yeah. Any more uh, questions from the panel here that uh, you guys like to ask, Mark? <laughs> I do have a question. I do have a question. Um, uh, I can't remember. I always forget his name. He used to do the, at the STP commercials. Uh, wore the cowboy hat, the dark glasses all the time because he's something about light. Um, Petty. Richard Petty. Richard, Richard Petty. Richard Petty. Yep. Did he not race at uh, Western Speedway? Because I know his parents are from the island. I, I don't believe Richard ever raced at Western Speedway. Uh, I've got a lot of magazines from the history of Western um, I could easily go over it, join you guys on another podcast and do a little research and come back with that. I'm, I'm fairly sure he did not. Um, there was a handful. I believe Bill Elliott did come. Um, uh, like I said before, Harry Gant and, and Bobby Allison and Harry, uh, Derek Cope. Uh, I believe Chad Little came. 
I don't think Petty came, though. I, I really don't think he did. But I'll look into it. I, I, I would well, love to I, say that I, I'm wrong. I do know that at one time, Richard Petty was, like, huge famous in B.C. He was, um, and actually, he had, a, there's a, he had a huge following. And I never really knew why, and then I found out that his parents uh, actually lived on the island. So he was always around, I, right? I did not know that. I did not know that. Um, Lee Petty was, uh, you know, his father was how Richard got into racing. And, uh, yeah. But, uh, no, I'll absolutely check that out and, and see if yeah, I can I'd find like to know. I'd really like to know. I met Richard in 94 and um, had a long conversation with him. So, uh, again, one of my racing heroes back when I was a kid, you know. Yeah, um, apparently he's quite uh, quite the character. He's uh, he's got a lot of stories. He's got a lot of history. He's still alive. He's still out at the track. Uh, still has a race team. Yeah, absolutely. Seven-time champion. Seven-time champion in NASCAR. Wow. Yep. Any questions, Will or Janet? I've always been a really big fan of NASCAR and Mark. Like 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 Motorhead itself. I've been a really big fan of too. This whole experience has been surreal for me, and it's it's it, actually that story of. You, you and Brian racing was actually pretty funny. So, um, you know, like I, I, I bet you, like I'm gonna just like be be looking back on this, laughing, laughing, laughing. But yeah, um, so uh, okay, I, I actually have one question. What is the most powerful car you've ever raced with? Oh, most powerful car I ever raced with. Um, um. Probably, probably my stock car for going around the track. I had uh, my engine builder built a, an engine that had uh, more power than I was even remotely close to being ready for. Um, but my dad, when I was running around the streets of Victoria and doing light to light races with guys, my dad had a '74 Trans Am that had a 400 in it and a four speed, and I could lift the tires off the ground in second gear. Um, no problem with that car, just getting on the gas and then letting off just a tiny bit. And I didn't even have to bunny hop it. I just put my foot down and it would lift the front tires on off and I could carry it for quite a few feet. So that's the most powerful car on the street I ever raced. Oof. That's, that's, uh, that sounds really amazing. I, I like, I, I only wish I could, you know, drive a vehicle like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was a surprise. I've, I've had a lot of interesting cars. Kind of sounds like that 1975 Buick Skylark that had too much power for me. Because <laughs> I'd always spin out in the like like the last two turns. I'd be leading. Oh. I'd be like, oh yeah, Brian's gonna win again. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> yeah, Brian had a habit of of losing it like with one or two laps to go and. Uh, all by all by himself and spin himself out and the, the rest of the field would go by. I was like, thanks, buddy. See ya. <laughs> no comment. <Yep. laughs> no comment. <laughs> More than once. Believe oh, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. And your trip down the, the wall, I had a front row seat to that one. I'll, I'll never forget it. I wish I had a video of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I lost that in a flood. And uh, I wish I had it, too. I, I mean, I can still picture it to this very day. Oh, so, so can I. Yeah. That was more than fascinating. That was really good, buddy. That was excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, really good. So, Jay, 
Um, we yeah. lost Ray Liotta before the podcast was even started, and we never yes, really we did. did give him we never got to get into him. No, because recently Cocaine Bear came out, and I'm telling you, it's not one of his finer moments. But, you know, I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen it. Um, I apparently saw the trailer. That was there's, enough. <laughs> there's, there's three more. There's apparently three more movies coming out that he's... Oh, really? Okay. Uh, okay. Well, tell us a little bit we'll, about Ray. We'll have to... Well, I mean, we all knew him from... Uh, you know, all, all knew him from playing a wise guy or, you know, a gangster type, or crooked cop, or, yeah, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, I mean, he was phenomenal in Goodfellas. But he got his start, believe it or not, in As the World Turns, Soap Opera. Oh, really? Uh, was, yeah, that wow. was his first, his first uh, after he, like, he, he graduated from, uh, oh, sorry, it was Another World, sorry. Um, he graduated with a uh, bachelor degree in arts, which I would imagine was for acting. And in 1978, he landed the role on Another World. I've never seen it. Uh, I remember the show. Um, always came on after Bugs Bunny, and it used to really just make me sick. But anyway, you know, you know, when you're eight, when you're when you're eight years old, you know. Um, but yeah, he's had a uh, his next. Uh, uh, breakthrough role was in a movie called Something Wild. I never seen it, um, but I remember him, and you'll remember him from Field of Dreams, where he played Shoeless Joe Jackson. Yes. Okay. Now Shoeless Joe Jackson, um, he was part of the uh, nineteen nineteen uh, World Series scandal. He actually got a lifetime ban from baseball, and Ray Liotta played him. Um, and he's kind of like your ban from. That's kind of like your ban on Facebook. You get a lifetime ban every every week. Oh, at least, at least. I'm a veteran, man. I had to throw that in there. Carry yeah, on. Next, next, next year, uh, all us, all us uh, Facebook criminals are going to have a reunion. Oh, okay. At there Mark Zuckerberg's house. Oh, yeah. get off that! Get off that topic right away. Come on, get back to Ray. I know, I know about you so, and the dog. So yeah, get back I hate to that Ray. guy. Um. He was in Copland. You, did you ever see Copland? Yes, because uh, okay, I'm a yeah. Stallone fan. So that was yeah, really that's great. Right. You are a uh, he was he he was in that. He played uh, a good guy in that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, now he had a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a controversy. I don't know if you've ever heard this. You, you've seen The Godfather, right? Uh, yeah, the Godfather. I sure have. Um, the guy wakes up with the horse's head in uh, bed with him. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, legend has it, uh, the actor that that producer basically tried to blacklist and wouldn't use was Frank Sinatra. So his friends sent him his own horse's head. Now, that's a legend. Um, well, everybody knows that Frank Sinatra was tied with the mob. Connected? Yeah. Yeah. And well, anyway, <laughs> he turned down a role. They wanted him to... They wanted uh, Ray Liotta to play um, Frank Sinatra. Uh, it was Nancy Sinatra and her sister, I don't know her name, um, wanted to do this biography of Frank, and uh, they wanted Ray Liotta to do it, and he turned it down, didn't want to do it. And anyway, a few months later, a few months later, he ended up playing, uh, he ended up playing Frank Sinatra in the movie The Rat Pack. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I thought it was terrible. 
I didn't like the movie. Um, but anyway, there was a big controversy about this. There was threats. Uh, uh, Nancy Sinatra just went full out on Ray Liotta, um, attacking him and uh, just slamming the guy. Well, anyway, he shows up on a on a, a TV show. I think it was I think it was um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. He used to be the talk show host for the Tonight Show. Um, Johnny Carson. Um, no, no. Who who took off, took took over for uh, Johnny Carson? Jay Leno. Um, Jay Leno. Jay Leno. Jay Leno had a show called Jay Leno's Garage, and. Uh, Ray Liotta went on the show, and uh, he was asked, "You know, how are things going?" He says, "Well, Nancy Sinatra sent me a dead horse's a uh, dead horse's head in the mail." <laughs> anyway, and, and uh, apparently the the feud went on until even his, well his, his death. Um, he did have a lot of enemies in Hollywood, but he also had a lot of great friends because uh, huh. um, Ray Liotta was a hothead. Like, he would just lose it for whatever reason. Um, but then again, he could also be the most lovable, lovable guy in the world. And sadly, on the 26th of uh, May of last year, he died in his sleep. Cardiac arrest, and it was it was uh, a shock to the world. Shock, shocked me. Mm-hmm. Me too. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, um, he just, uh, he had a TV show. I can't even remember what it was called, but I was watching it. And then the next day, they said he was dead. I mean, it was like, what? I just watched oh, that, that show. One, you're talking about the one with Jennifer Lopez, he did. Yes. That was that was called Blue Something Blue. Um, but it was really good. It was a really good series. Uh, really good series. Yeah, he, he died of a, a heart, heart attack, I believe, in his sleep. Wow. And yeah, that's, you know. Too bad. He's still. Uh, they did a. They did a, a really nice uh, um, uh, goodbye to him at the Oscars. I didn't see it. I don't watch the Oscars, but um, yeah, it was called Shades of Blue. Shades yeah. of Blue. Shades that of blue. is Yeah, it was good. But, uh, was good. Was yeah, he was one of a kind. I, I, I wouldn't say he's. Um, well, I mean, in his in his genre, he was one of the top five. I would have to say. In, in acting, yeah. I mean, he's up yeah. there with Al Pacino and and uh, yeah, uh, Robert De Niro, guys like yeah. that. Um, he also did uh, um, TV shows. He did uh, he let, he did voices for video games. He did voices for SpongeBob. He was on SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> uh, he was uh, he was actually the principal on Hannah Montana. Which I didn't know. I, I didn't, didn't know. I didn't yeah. know that either. No. Yeah, I, well, I just watched, didn't watch that. And uh, but yeah, I mean, he had a he had a colorful career, and you know, it's a damn shame. Yeah, it was a surprise. It really yeah. was. I, I think uh, just as I think it would be just as surprising. Well, it was just as surprising to me as it was when Lisa Marie Presley died. Out of nowhere, right out of left field, totally unexpected. Yep. You know. Yet Bob Newhart is still alive. And oh wait, I gotta add one more. Keith Richards. Uh, Keith Richards. Keith Richards is never gonna die. He's never gonna well, die. He, no. You see, Keith Richards is like the cockroach. Okay, cockroaches eat garbage. Okay. Oh, Keith Richards has put garbage into his body. 
going to start with the, the the bad news and then the lighter news but we'll, we'll, we'll go on to this um so <laughs> there, there have been ukraine activists that have hacked the uh, a russian military volunteer now the group uh, uh in russian I, I i i hate to butcher this and i'm sorry if i'm butchering this but it's a group called the kiber sprotiv or cyber resistance in in English, uh, have targeted the AliExpress account of a guy, a, a military uh, Russian named Mikhail Lushin, a friend of pro-Russian military blogger Vladlin uh, <laughs> Tarkovsky, uh, uh, aka Maxim Foman, who was killed in a St. Petersburg cafe explosion, but. What, what 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 these protesters did was was they said okay you know um, Ukraine is is a war criminal um, and they 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 literally went to AliExpress because they they realized this guy uh, Mikhail was was actually uh, buying drones for their military from AliExpress don't ask me why it's AliExpress but uh they they noticed it was coming from AliExpress so the the Chinese run store is 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 you're unfamiliar with anyone's unfamiliar with that but they bought 25,000 he bought $25,000 worth of sex toys because of uh these these Russian hacktivists or no sorry the, the the Ukraine hacktivists and it's uh 
this just go, goes to show that like the the war is, isn't just like physical it's digital man they, they they got a hold of this guy's uh entire account like his credit card and everything and so I, I i'm almost wondering like how much more they they they, they sent to the, the military so instead of the military because they were expecting like twenty five thousand dollars worth of drones but you know they got twenty five thousand dollars worth of dildos delivered to them <laughs> well you know really your pleasure right <laughs> oh brad <laughs> Oh man! Bom, bom, bom. Yeah, now you know what you got yourself into, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, that, um, that's that's pretty wild stuff. Yeah, yeah it, it it is, and um, it, it the total expense, if if you're wondering, uh, was I I, I believe it says here seventeen thousand rubles uh, worth of sex toys had already been delivered, and um. You 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 know I I, I mean if, if if you're gonna be a war criminal you you might wanna <laughs> you might wanna hide your information because you, you, you know there's gonna be activists that are that are gonna be doing this consistently. He's lucky with dildos that was <laughs> that that was ordered instead of like some some dumb pizzas or whatever. At least at least the the military can go f themselves now. Wow. That's, uh, that's got all kinds of wrong attached to it. Um, I don't know where that would uh, start and where that would end. <laughs> all care and love and war, man. Right? Love, love, war, peace. <laughs> well, if, oh, they use it, if they use it, there won't be any any sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> no, that's I was wondering they, what they, you're going to say to that. Okay. Unbelievable. So, Move along. Who wants to hear about some urban legends of the United States of America? Sure. Sure, why not? All right, thanks. <laughs> okay, so last week we started this uh, urban legends thing, and um, I got to the end, and then I promised you about the Arkansas dog boy. So we're going to start with that one. Um, it's actually known as the Boggy Creek Monster of Bouk, Arkansas. Okay, so just another version of Sasquatch, commonly accepted to be around seven or eight feet tall, completely covered in hair. Um, he roams the creek of rural Arkansas, and um, he was uh, actually first spotted in 1834 as a young man looking like a dog boy, half dog, half boy. Thus, the Arkansas dog boy, or the Boggy Creek Monster of Bouk, Arkansas. Going to Alabama, we have Hell's Gate Bridge. This uh, actually all started in the 1950s. A young couple was driving over a bridge, and somehow they drove their car off the bridge. And that particular night, they drowned. So the two legends associated with the Hell's Gate Bridge is if you drive your car out to the middle of the bridge, turn off your lights, the couple will magically appear in your car and leave wet spots on the seats. The other legend is how the bridge got its name. It's believed that if you drive over the bridge and look over your shoulder halfway through the bridge, the scenery behind you turns into a portal to hell engulfed in flames. Now, to curb ghost hunters and on board teenagers, especially, Hell's Gate was actually permanently closed. Uh, and it is in such despair now that even walking across it is strongly discouraged. Okay. Now, in Ojai, California, 
The origin of the char man is pretty gruesome. In 1948, a father and son were both caught in a house fire, and they were both horribly burned beyond recognition. After the fire, the son became so mentally unstable that he actually killed his father. Now, when the police came to arrest the son, they didn't realize he was still alive. The son then ran away before they were able to arrest him. Now, the story goes that ever since the char man can be spotted wandering the woods surrounding the town of Ojai, California, occasionally approaching innocent campers' tents, pretending to be a lost camper or even a hitchhiker in distress. Then he attacks and kills them, and they are never heard from again. Now, in Colorado, we have the many legends of the Riverdale Road. And um, Jay, Janet, and myself can probably relate to this because there are creepy roads that we've driven down. And even you, Mark, uh, uh, that uh, you just get a weird feeling. And Riverdale Road in Colorado is one of them. It's uh, called Hell's Gate to Ghosts or Former Slaves that hang from trees, that, that are seen from hanging from trees. This stretch of road is decidedly spooky, no doubt about that. One weird story is of the Phantom Jogger. The story goes, a uh, distracted driver hit a morning jogger and left him for dead. Now, if you actually park at that exact site where the hit and run actually happened, you'll hear sounds like disembodied footsteps getting closer and closer to your car. But here's the creepy part. People have reported handprints on their windows, and then banging noises as if someone was kicking the outside of their vehicle. Okay. In Connecticut, we have a lady by the name of Hannah Karana, known as the Wicked Witch of Monroe. Hannah Karana gained a reputation as a witch in the 19th century. Now, apparently her husband died mysteriously falling off a cliff. Local town folk believe that the witch, uh, uh, Hannah, actually bewitched her husband and caused him to fall off that very cliff. It was well known that she would also cast numerous spells on people she didn't like. Hannah lived to the ripe old age of 77, but before she died, she had a very interesting request to what little friends she had left. She didn't have a lot of friends in the town. She asked to be carried down to the cemetery by foot and not a horse-drawn wagon back then. That request was denied, so local town folk tried to wheel her coffin down by horse, but oddly enough, they kept falling off the wagon. Thus, they were forced to carry it. So when the townspeople returned back to her home to basically loot it, it was mysteriously engulfed in flames for no apparent reason as to why. This sealed Hannah reputation as the evil witch because the townspeople did not do as she asked. You can actually visit her grave in Trumbull, Connecticut. Uh, so that's uh, pretty creepy stuff. So next week, we visit Delaware and the ghost of Mr. Chu. So it's time for a break. We are going to play uh, another great single off the album, uh, Fist Alive, which uh, we are affiliated with uh, this iconic 80s rock band. They've put out such a great album. Uh, if you haven't listened to the last three or four podcasts, we featured a single on each one of them, and tonight's is with no exception. It's called Wolves, and here it is, right for you, live by Fist.
silence breaks The teardrops fall Blinded by fear They stumble and crawl Holding hands While bullets sprawl From the thoughtless
everybody tonight? That's a good question, Janet. I'm in Waco. Waco. <laughs> no, no, it's Waco. Waco. <laughs> Waco. Have you seen some of the truckers down there? It's Waco. It's been, okay. Uh, this is where the big, uh, that big, uh, uh, shooting was many, many years ago with that, uh, Yes. Yeah, yes. the cult, the cult thing. The cult. Our, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, that's, we won't get into cults. Maybe we'll talk, maybe on another topic on another podcast, because there's some crazy ass cults out there, even in BC, I might add. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, speaking of BC, was Victoria at one time, wasn't there a big a book about the satanic cults out there? Speaking of uh, the satanic cults, yes. There was many times when we lived on the island that we would take the kids through the woods, and man, we saw some crazy stuff in the woods, pentagons and, you know, uh, circles. And Mark, I'm sure you've probably seen some of the crazy stuff on the island related to that as well, eh? I unfortunately saw a lot of different uh, cult activity. I saw a lot of satanic activity, uh, witchcraft. Uh, Vancouver Island is very well known for witchcraft background. Yeah. Um, there was that book Michelle remembers yeah. came out a long yeah. time ago. I was I remembered that when you were talking about it, Jay. Yes, I couldn't remember the name of the book, but uh, um, uh, Victoria was actually considered the satanic capital of. Canada, correct. Yes. At one at one time. Wow. Yep. Uh, the Open Organ, believe it or not, is uh, pretty deep into it too. Man. It's all over Vancouver. You it's just, all over BC. You, you guys, are, you both just confirmed a couple of conspiracies there. <laughs> that, that's well, wild. Did you know? Did you know that the KKK had a had a uh, uh, I don't I don't know if they call them temples or what they call them, but they had a meeting place on Richards. Downtown Vancouver. I think they're called lodges, aren't they? Lodges or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, they, there's like Mason lodges all around. So it, I, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's uh Oh, I thought you guys were referring to the Chris King's Krispy Kring, Kringles donuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The KK. Wow, yeah. Brian. Wow. <laughs> oh <laughs> man. Bump There you go. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool when they. When they found that, um, it was really, really wild because they were excavating and uh, they found a, an old building underneath a building and it dated back to 1880 or something like that. And it was a, it had all this KKK stuff in there. And it was, wow. uh, yeah, and it, I mean, this was back at the turn of the century. Like, I didn't know that they were even in Canada back then. Oh, yeah. This, this, this is totally off topic, but did you know they found LSD in Tim Horton's car? Now, Tim Hortons was a hockey player. He's the guy that right. started Tim Hortons, so the original donut chain. They found LSD in Tim Hortons' car. Then they actually actually investigated, and you know what they found? What LSD what? Stands, stood for? What? Uh, Last Sunday's Donuts. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Brian. <laughs> wow. Mark? <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> That's me. I got to add some humor yeah. to the show. <laughs> get, getting back to your where is everybody. I'm uh, in Nanaimo, British Columbia, Vancouver Island. And how's the weather? 
Uh, it has not been great. It's uh, It's been hit and miss for rain for the last couple of days, and we've got nothing but rain for the next three or four days. Really? Here I'm a little chilly. You're gonna you're gonna basically tell us that you're basking in the sunshine, and you know you're out sun tanning. No, the be, banana bill be has us not hit us. <laughs> That would be us in Calgary. I got a question yeah. for you. Do they still do the bathtub race? Yes. They do. They don't, I, I, yeah, they don't go across to Vancouver anymore. Um, they do a big loop uh, on the oh, yeah. inside coast, but they do do it. That's and, why I haven't heard of, heard of it for so long. Is it they actually the bathtub that they use? Well, it, used, it, it, it used to be, but I don't know what they use. It's a fiberglass shell of a tub with a weird little fiberglass speedboat kind of hull on the bottom of it. Yeah. Well, we know, Jay, if you were in that bathtub race, you'd be bringing, bringing your rubber dinghy, a rubber duck. Oh, I would. I would. Right? Damn right, I would. And, and your Bugs Bunny. And, and, my, and my Ernie. I mean, I got and a your Ernie. Song, right? <laughs> Get rubber ducky, you're the one. <laughs> Jay, Jay won't sing. He only sang once. He nope. won't sing. Nope. And Mark that won't let me. Mark definitely won't let me. He's going to draw uh, a line on that. Yeah, no, that's not happening. Yeah, you're yeah, a good no. man, Mark. <laughs> no, sir. Yeah, and, and we know Will's singing involves F-words, so we're not going to even get into that. So, okay, so Janet, um, you had a topic to talk yes. about. Yes, today is the fifth anniversary for the Humboldt crash out of Saskatchewan, and they were doing a big memorial out there. Uh, the bells were going to be ringing within the town 29 times to signify the injured and dead uh, that uh, were as a result of that crash. Now, and for a U.S., just interject, for a U.S. Uh, freaks out there, they don't know a lot about this. So can you kind of go over the story a little bit? Yeah, basically, because uh, I was going to go into kind of a background a little bit of it. But what it is, there was a foreign worker was hired by a company in Calgary. Um, now, this has been a problem uh, throughout Canada. I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but throughout Canada, this has been a bit of an issue in the trucking industry. And they had done a big write-up on it um, because a lot of what was happening was these people would come over and they're trying to get their permanent residency in Canada. And they come over from, you know, uh, countries that may have been lower income, you know, right around the poverty level. They're trying to better themselves to come over to Canada. And they're being told by Im their immigration counselors that, oh, you know, go into the trucking industry. You know, we're sh so short-staffed. You know, get your get your uh, Class 1 license and, and just start driving. And this is part of the problem that's happened with this. The company that originally hired this gentleman um, was one of these fly-by-nights, worked out of his home, um, and hired this guy. The guy paid $10,000 to the company that hired him so he could have a, a job. He 
were also paid another $10,000 to the immigration counselor to help him get that job. <clears throat> so this, this guy likely borrowed a family, friends, whatever, just to get to Canada. And, of course, with these fly-by-night operations, um, the safety ratings, there is no safety rating. I mean, it, usually these companies, the, the equipment is shoddy, it's run down, not looked after, and here you're bringing a rookie who sometimes never even drove before he got to Canada. Suddenly he's got a class one license, no training, no experience. Um, he was pulling a flatbed and the load was insecurely tied and tarped. So what was said at the time was, uh, what the driver had said at the time was he was looking in his mirror and saw that the tarp was flapping around. Came up to this intersection, which ironically I'd been speaking with a driver just the other day who lived up in that area. And he says that intersection is notorious because it's, it's a really bad intersection, very poor visibility. Um, the, the driver didn't stop at the intersection and ended up going through and hitting a bus full of kids. Now, these kids were, um, I can't remember, basketball, football, I, I don't remember. They hockey. were hockey. Uh, hockey, right, hockey. Thank you. And Humboldt uh, Broncos. Yes. And they were on their way to a tournament and they were broadsided. So it ended up 16 dead, 13 injured in that accident. Now, at the time, Trudeau uh, cited steps to establish uh, entry-level training for uh, to become standard, and then he also mandated the ELDs at that time, as well as requiring seatbelts in the new buses and motor coaches. So, some good came out of it in the end. Um, another thing that happened was organ donations went up um, yes, shortly did. after that. They had 150,000 people that were tested and were put on the donor, within the donor bank kind of thing. So if something happened to them or even in some cases where there would be um, a living donation, like for a liver, sometimes kidney or... Um, uh, like for uh, spinal fluid, that kind of thing, uh, giving a spinal tap. So uh, the other good thing that came about from this is um, there were scholarships and, and sponsorships for future generations. So there's all of that. At yeah, least they did was, get rid of that corner, by the way. Did they? they yeah, I, I yes, don't know. Yes, they, I they haven't been up there. They completely changed it. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Because, I believe like, there's a traffic circle there, but don't quote me on it. That would be a good thing because I know um, the driver that I spoke to the other day, he said that intersection, there were so many accidents at that intersection because of the, the stop sign not being really visible. Uh, you're not able to actually see a lot of the traffic coming. So sometimes you're kind of going, Please, 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 you know, as you're going through, right? So, but back to the temper, 
temporary foreign workers program, which brought this all kind of into effect, uh, there are two different kinds of programs. One is where somebody comes over as a, a student, so they, they're allowed to have like a work visa, and they're allowed to go into this without having to be qualified to do it. And that's how a lot of these people are getting in, is through these student visas, right? So as long as they follow the rules, there's really no restrictions on them. Now, the other one is the LMAI or LMIA or something like that, where they actually go and recruit uh, experienced people for the and then those people are technically bound to one company, whereas someone coming in on the student visas, they're allowed to bounce from job to job as long as they're staying within the rules of their visas. So that's some of the issues. Another issue, going back to the drivers not being trained properly, a lot of these, these people are coming over from warm climates. Many have never, ever seen snow or ice let alone driven on it, and they're being told, here you go, here's the keys, go. Uh, very, very little training. Some of them paying up to $55,000 to come to Canada in order to drive. And then they're stuck with these, these uh, you know, fly-by-night operations. They're literally put into enslavement with low wages, uh, no benefits, Nothing. The, this is the other portion of the problem, is that the people that come over don't understand their rights as employees, that they're allowed to say no, that they're allowed to only work, for example, as a truck driver, only work within the hours of service, right? Uh, there's definitely a lack of regulations uh, regarding all of this. So it's pretty hard when you've got a lot of these companies, and BC apparently is the worst for it. Uh, apparently, a third of the businesses in BC that get foreign workers have zero regulations. They're hiring, firing, getting, you know, people revolving doors. Sometimes they're not even, they don't even have enough equipment to justify the amount of people they're quote-unquote hiring, right? So that's a problem. Whereas in, in Ontario, there, the regulations out there are a little, a little tighter. So it's maybe a quarter of what BC or any of the other provinces is hiring for foreign workers, right? So they're a little tougher. When you're looking at the foreign workers program, you're also looking at Ottawa having um, to authorize things, right? So all of these people have to be authorized if they're coming through the LMIA program, where they're being vetted for their experience, their ability to speak the language, because these are some of the requirements within the foreign workers program. And that's how we've got so many out there. Most of them have come in on student visas, and now suddenly they're driving, but they have very little command of the English language, which then causes additional issues. 
they won't even go into that tonight, right? Um, so more often than not, these these fly-by-nights, what will happen, first of all, they have very poor safety ratings. They have a lot of infractions based on um, moving violations or based on the safety of the equipment itself. So a lot of times, like what happened with, well, Humboldt is a little bit different, but most of these companies, they'll shut down when they're being refused um, their fitness certificate in order to be able to run, and they'll open it up under another person within that home, for example, a spouse or a child. I actually, one of my first companies that I worked for was like that. I got hired on by the guy that owned the one company, but after six months, they revolved these companies. So he would own one company, his wife would own another, and the three kids each owned their own companies. So they would just shut down and start up a new company, and that's what a lot of these companies are doing. Uh, the one strictly with the Humboldt issue, that was forced to be closed, and I fully believe that the owners of these kind of companies should be held responsible. So, you know, they're they're running these companies into the ground. They don't care because, oh, bang, tomorrow they can open a new one, which goes back to one of the topics, I think it was last week that I was talking about, where the safety certificate should follow the company owners through each company that they open up. And they are working on that. So currently, uh, what they've got now as of 2023, they have what they call express entry draws for experienced workers based on language skills, education, and work experience. Um, and that's slated to begin as of February of this year. Um, they're also allowing what they call a provincial Provincial nominee program, which is a PNP, allowing companies to go and find and recruit skilled workers, for example, in the UK or in Europe or wherever they can send their recruiters out there, find people that are qualified, that are capable of doing the job, and then putting them up for these, um, basically nominating them to be able to come in to work within the country, right? So that's what they're doing. But a lot of this is too little too late for some, you know. This has been going on for decades. It has, it has. And it's so hard for them to, to regulate it because there's two ways that they can get into the industry, the right way and the wrong way. The wrong way is through these student visas. They should never be allowed to be doing that. Well, I've, I've never been... Uh, I've been against the, the, not that I'm against foreigners or anything or immigration, I'm not. Uh, I've always been against this uh, um, foreign worker program because it allows these uh, shady companies, we'll say, to uh, take advantage of the system. Because think about this, they only have to pay half the wage. The government picks up the other half. Yeah. Yeah, well... Okay. And, and, and might I add, when they come over to our country, not, not trying to be racist or anything, but this is, the, this is the law. When they come over to our country, they, they can come over on a six-month visa if they want, 
And, and during that time, they don't need to take a driving test. They don't need to take any test. In fact, what our country does is they transfer the license over to us, right, and say, oh, well, you can just go driving. Yeah. And that should be eliminated as well. Yeah. <clears throat> See, uh, the thing is, a lot of these guys, for example, like I said, with the, uh, with the student visas, some of them have never even had a driver's license. But yet, suddenly, they're allowed to go and get, you know, go through a 20-hour or 30-hour course to get their class one. And suddenly, they're, they're driving a truck, and they've never driven. And that just boggles my mind, because I know our regulations state, for us to get a class one, you have to have your license for a certain number of years before you can even get your class one. Or at least, when I got mine, that's how it was. I don't know what it is now, but those were the regulations back then when I got mine. Oh, yeah, well, it's 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 um, never going to, it's only going to get worse because the government just keeps making it worse. Yeah, yeah. But we should, we should move along. We've been yep. going on quite a bit on this one. Um, Mark, what's your next topic? Well, I was going to uh, expand a little bit on how... People could get involved in racing, and it's a series oh, yes. throughout uh, uh, many different racetracks, actually across North America. It's called the Claimer Series. Um, that's how I got involved to being driving. I, I crewed on cars before this, but driving, it's how I got into it. So what it is, is it's a, they still have a Claimer Series. <clears throat> it's changed because the cars that we were racing back, 20, 30 years ago aren't available anymore. Um, so now they're a four-cylinder car, standard or automatic. You take the interior out, take all the glass out, take all the, the lights out of the car, and um, you have to put in a very <laughs> rudimentary, uh, almost archaic type of cage. You have to have a two-inch post behind the driver. You have to have a, a dash bar going from side to side. You have to have um, a bar going behind the driver from side to side, and you have to have an I-beam on the outside of the car on both the driver's side and the passenger side to give protection to the driver in the car. Now, you can a lot of people will try and find uh, uh, an old-style race car that had a, a full cage in it. They'll cut it out, and they'll modify it and put it in their cars. But what it does is it gives young People, I mean, sometimes it's kids that are coming up that want to start racing. Sometimes it's adults that never got a chance to explore whether or not they would have fun at it. And um, these cars, they're literally were driving on the street yesterday, and today they're they're out on the racetrack. There's no modifications to the motor, um, no changing modifications so you can't go and put a fancy suspension in it no fancy shocks and springs it all has to be the stock stuff that the car came with you do have to you can remove the gas tank um on some models of cars it's recommended but a lot of the times they keep the stock fuel tank in them because everything has an electric fuel pump now and um you you put these cars together and you try to make a couple of uh changes on the the front alignment so you're not changing the parts you're just changing how they're working a little bit so you change your caster your camber and your toe alignment and um, 
for two hundred ninety nine dollars. It might even be three ninety nine now. But anybody, you, you, either of you guys, could come to a racetrack, put the cash in an envelope, and um, find a representative from that series. There's usually there's somebody in the grandstands or people in the pits after the races are over, and give them your envelope with a timestamp on it as to when you pass that envelope over. And they hold on to it, and at the end of the night, after all the racing is done, they'll have a, a meeting with all the claimer drivers. And again, this is synonymous through all these racetracks throughout North America. And uh, they'll have a little meeting and pass the envelopes out to the various drivers that people have claimed their cars, uh, i.e. when Brian and I were doing it we would go and stand at the flag stand and wait to see if our number got called and 55 or 47, here's your envelope. Do you want to continue racing or do you want to take the money and go home? And if you want to continue racing, you look down the list of cars that are left over and you decide which car you want. You pass that money over to the next driver and it goes down the list until uh, you either walk or there's no cars left. And then uh, you take it home give it a paint job, put your uh, car number on it. And when I say paint job, I mean go to your local paint store and grab a can of paint and a roller. <laughs> literally. <laughs> yes, literally. Or, or some spray bombs from Canadian Tire. Although I and, can have some uh, interesting pictures on my car. You definitely. did. Uh, you, you, were, you were definitely unique with your, your style, Brian. Thank definitely. You. Yes. And... Um, yeah, you have to, obviously, when the car is sold, it has to be sold with a, um, a basic racing seat in it, so it stays in the car. You get to keep your window net, you keep your helmet and your suit, um, and you keep your fire extinguisher and your harness, your racing harness, your belts. And everything else stays with the car, so somebody basically gets a race car for, say, 300 bucks. Every track has a different price, but this is what Western Speedway have up until they closed last year. That was the rule. You you walked away with your battery, your harness, um, your window net, and, um, and battery harness. Window. I think that was it, wasn't it, Brian? Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. So, yeah. Sadly, so. sadly, uh, that price, I would think, has probably gone up by now, Mark. No, I, I, I was at Western Speedway this past year, Brian. I, I think maybe one hundred dollars. It's it's either two ninety nine or three ninety nine. It still wow. has to be cheap, 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 cheap. A four cylinder, though, really? Yeah, I did. They do it, Brian. They do it, wow. and they have fun. You know, little uh, things like Sunfires, and and uh, you'll see the every once in a while you see an older Honda out there, like a little Civic or something. But a lot of the Chevy cars and a lot of the uh, a lot of the cheap. Uh, anything cheap, anything with a four-cylinder and inexpensive, doesn't matter if it's beat up, as you know, some of these cars don't look that great. Right. But, right. but uh, they go out and have fun, and that's what it's all about, is having some excitement that it's better than going to a, you know, going to a movie theater and spending like a hundred bucks to get a couple of people in, some popcorn and a pop. Um, you're going out to the racetrack for a couple bucks more, and you're spending an entire night uh, having an absolute blast so much fun and enjoyment um you get to put your foot right to the floor and not worry about the the blue and red lights flashing behind you that that's exciting for a lot of people yep it's on it's, it was on my bucket list i crossed yeah. it off so <laughs> i'm still crossing it off i think so I yeah think so. so yeah the claimer series um 
it started in the 70s. Um, I don't know exactly which track it started at, but it was going at Western Speedway back in 1975. And uh, when I got involved in it, it was 1991. And Brian, you got involved in it in the, just like, what, 93, 94? Uh, yeah, around there. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, they do it to your tracks. grandkids. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it was a good facet of my life. Um, yeah. The only thing I didn't like to throw a negative to it, because I was in the life insurance business at that time, and unfortunately I was seeing too many people that were pouring money into this race car, but they weren't pouring money into their families. And that's kind of what really put a sour taste in my mouth, to tell you the truth, Mark. Sure to hear that. Well, because I saw too many of that, right? I saw, you know, I mean, um, I was a big proponent of life insurance back then. I still am. I have, I have, uh, you know, life insurance on myself and my wife. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to get filthy rich upon her demise. That's for sure. But as long as you have enough to put her in the ground, that's that's what makes sense. But when you're seeing these people that couldn't spend as little as thirty dollars on insurance. Right, you know, to take care of their family in, in the event of, of you know the the breadwinner's death, and they were pouring three thousand dollars or three hundred dollars back then. We'll say three hundred is more realistic, right? Um, into cars that they really had no business racing those cars. So that was the only problem I had. Like, you know, um, it's great. I think it's awesome that somebody can can do that for a very small price. Absolutely, but. That was the only thing that I ran into. And, of course, in Victoria, where you have the ratio back then was like five women to every one guy. So you run a lot across single mom families and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, their, their so-called significant others were getting involved in the racing back then. And uh, they were pouring a lot more money than $300 into their cars back then. So that was that's the only issue that I had. Um, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Okay, would I ever go back to it? No, of course not, right? But it was it was a facet of my life that I could say, yeah, I did it, right? Uh, people like yourself, you have a network of people to help you with the costs and more power to you because you probably couldn't do it on your own. No, nor would I try. No, but there were a lot of people that were doing that back then that didn't yeah. have a network of people. They would just get into it and, you know, that was... I don't, I don't want to be negative, but I'm just, I'm just saying that that's what I noticed, and that's what put the sour taste in my mouth about it for a long time, for a long time. And and um, we'll get on to another topic, because well, I, I definitely, I don't want to sour that. That was really good. Uh, who is next? We've got Brian, to, one to more. be really quite honest with you um, yep. about what you were saying about the life insurance, that goes with any hobby, okay? Um, I know guys... Um, that will spend without a problem ten grand on golf clubs, but won't put brakes on the family car. Right, right. Okay, I mean it, it goes with it goes with any hobby. It, it all depends on how. Um, it's it almost like priority. an addiction to these people. It, it, well, it becomes it an addiction to these people. Um, huh. uh, I was right, Ben. Out of, I was like, I I fly fish, and it's a very expensive. Uh, leisure activity, I call it. I don't see it as a sport. But um, you can go out and buy a $20,000 fishing rod. Are you kidding? 
Oh, I'm not Wait, kidding. Oh, yeah, kidding. Yeah. Um, you know what? My my last fly fishing rod I bought for eight bucks out out of Walmart. It was a Berkeley, and I just broke it a couple of years ago. And it was my Bugs Bunny fishing rod. I taught myself how to fly fish with on it. I cast just as good as everybody else with their eight hundred dollar rods. So why? You know, I I I'm not competing. Some people feel that no matter what well, they do they, no matter what they do, it's all gotta be brand new and expensive and that's the only way it works, right? It, and I think well, a lot of that is, you know, like I mean I grew up with nothing or next to nothing, you know, hand me downs the whole bit. I'll take that five dollar fly rod or fishing rod over that three hundred dollar or five hundred dollar one because it's not necessary. But for well, some people it seems to be, right? But it, well, look it, at that. It, okay, hold on. Look at how I people are. You, well, this is a great story. I spent over two hundred dollars on a magnetic detector, thinking I was gonna pan gold oh, yeah. strike it rich. And I went out and I did it three times and after finding bottle caps and rusted nails and, um, you know, wrappers and stuff because the stupid thing would pick it up. I ended up literally selling it because it was the stupidest. My wife goes, what are you doing? I said, I said I'm, I'm going to get rich. And she goes, no, you're not. <laughs> she was right, as she always is. But, I mean... Yeah, magnetic detector. What was I thinking? I don't know. That was like a little off topic for me. <sighs> you know, but I mean, it, it, it's how people are. It's the keeping up with the Joneses type thing, right? Exactly. Oh, well, and, and it, yes, and and Sports, honestly, hobbies, everything. Yeah, and and honestly, it's no different than the 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 same reason why people buy Rolexes over say watches like Invicta you can literally go on Invicta's website and get a get a nice nice watch for like 80 to 100 dollars where these people are spending uh, like 10 20,000 dollars on a Rolex it's just for show right yeah, it all comes down to priorities that's what it comes you can down. buy this is really funny um, I would have never believed it until I seen it you can buy a Rolex it's a Rolex but the insides are like made in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all for show, all for glam. But anyway, I didn't want to put a worm worm in the apple there, Mark. But it was that is a really good, really good idea. And for those that uh, you know don't want to spend too much money, I would support that idea. So we'll leave it at that. Okay, so. Um, we got a couple more topics left. Um, I'm going to end off with the U.S. audit raising significant questions about Canadian meat inspectors and inspections. So we'll get into that. But uh, I think that Janet or uh, Will, you have one left topic to go. Yeah, I have a um, I have a, a topic of a uh, of a central bank digital currency that is currently uh, in the process of being released. Um, now, for those who don't know what a central bank digital currency is, it's basically what it what it sounds like. It's it, it, it's now they they say that it's not going to be replacing the U.S. dollar, but here's here's the reality of the situation: the U.S. and Canada, both of them, have been raising the debt so high, so it's uh, like 
it, it, it's almost, uh, it makes it unaffordable for your, your average human being. And right now there, there's talks of um, three different countries, including China, coming in to uh, buy out the U.S. dollar so that they can all switch to a, a CBDC or Central Bank Digital Currency. Which, by the way, yes, a, C, a, a central bank digital currency can be uh, d distributed into any currency in the world that exists to this day. So, I mean, we go from, well, the world goes from, you know, uh, printing money, you know, to, to now just saying, oh, you, you know, you, you want a digit of five? Okay, I'll give you a digit of five. Now it's going to make, make things um, a little bit... Uh, more unnerving and i don't know why they call it an offline currency but they're they're, they're calling it uh right now an offline currency and when they implement it now i've i've done i've done a lot of research on this when they implement it you'll know like people will notice that the internet's going to go down and uh the 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 systems are going to freeze up this is this is literally in the works right now they're trying to figure out how to distribute it uh, to everybody. And this kind of coincides with the smart cities that are coming into fruition now, where, um, you know, like China has, uh, has this whole system. Now, I don't want to get political or whatever, but China has this whole system of, of, you know, tracking what you do, when you do it, how you do it, right? Um, they they've already switched to things like WeChat, which is basically where your money is. Um, the uh, now there, there's even more talks of you know things switching to the Chinese yen, which I I mean that would be just astronomically insane. But right now, um, like a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, it can be frozen in your account at any uh, any time now. There were, you know, I, I'm not going to say the group's names or whatever, but there was, you know, a year or two, three ago, you know, um, there were people who had their accounts frozen. And this this is a reality, uh, not just for, you know, people who are, who are under, you know, government watch, like uh, protesters and whatever, but now it's going to be your average citizen too. So, you, you know, if, if you don't, um, follow what they say, it, it's basically going to be like a social credit system. Now, um, they were talking about replacing uh, all the money right now, uh, just as Ni uh, I think it's Nigeria uh, ha has done. So, um, basically taking your Canadian dollars, your US dollars, whatever, and uh, basically trading it in for this new digital currency. So um, there's going to be a lot of, um, as you can imagine, there's going to be a lot of negativity like uh, coming from this, uh, from numerous amounts of people. But I, I feel like every day we're, we're, we're headed more and more into a digital world. Um, this is kind of sketchy because, I mean, uh, if you've listened to previous podcasts, you would know that, like, I truly believe that nothing is unhackable. So once you get into a digital currency now, it's, it's, it's just the same as, you know, cryptocurrency. They just, like, 
um, got the idea and, you know, ran with it. Um, once, once that happens, I mean, you're, you're, there's more at stake. You know what I mean? So, uh, the warning signs of, of, of this happening, and it's going to happen soon, is uh, internet going out for a bit. Uh, there's, there's one that's temporary and one that's, per, uh, uh, well, I can't say permanent, but uh, one that's a little bit more permanent than temporary. Um, and when, when this happens, uh, your cash is going to be worthless, basically, uh, unless you trade it in for the digital currency. So for, for, for the people who were like, well, I'm just going to hoard my money and, and be prepared for this, it's not going to work out like that. It, it, it just truly won't. And these smart cities, man, um, they kind of tie into to, to the everything as well. Now, that, that's a broader subject that uh, I don't really want to get into right now because it's going to take up a lot of time. However, um, when you put this all into perspective, uh, you know, Trudeau um, talking about China, the, 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 the way he is, this is like a, a setup to, um, I guess, try to revamp all the, all the dollars. And if, if anyone's been paying attention uh, to... Um, uh, the U.S. dollar, the U.S. dollar just, ju- just uh, I, I, w- without sparking fear, it just fell a bit, right? So, like, now the Canadian dollar is at 75 cents uh, as opposed to w- where it was, I don't know, a year or two ago, which was around the 69 to 71 cents uh, on the dollar. It's, uh, it's going to be happening slowly, but it will be happening. And uh, you just might want to be prepared. But see, in line to this digital currency, and I have a gripe with this, because I recently got a rebate uh, from a company, we'll just leave it at that, for $30. It says, use your account to make online purchases everywhere. So I clicked on it, and do you know what said to me when I clicked on it? Well, this is why I have a problem with this digital currency stuff. Virus, virus, virus? Oh, kind of like that, yeah. Okay. Kind of like that. I won't, I won't give you the exact wording, but basically I can't access my $30 rebate, which I think is a complete joke. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not online uh, with this digital currency. I, I'm not a fan of crypto yeah. um, at all. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Mark, but I think it's, uh, it's smoke and mirrors, quite frankly. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of this digital currency either. So, anybody want to add to that? Okay, I wanted to ask Mark's opinion on on this. Um, uh, I've been watching it for a while. I've, I've got a few people that got into Bitcoin and and a few other of the the uh, cryptocurrency exchanges out there, and some of them are holding a, a nice chunk of change in their portfolio because of it, but. I truly see it as a way to control us even further than they already do. 100%. I believe, I, I believe that um, they're developing more and more ways for us to just be puppets. And eventually, we're going to rely on them so heavily that we're, we're going to lose our own, our own self, uh, not worth so much, but our, our freedom. Financial identity. Yeah, yeah that, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, I can go down to the corner store right now and I got 20 bucks in my pocket and I can, you know, put it on the counter and get something. But right. if I don't have crypto and the stores start going with this cryptocurrency only, what am I going to do? 
you know, I, I, I've, I've been a free human being my entire life, and, you know, the walls, I feel, are closing in with this. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Definitely agreed. I, I mean, I, I'm all for digital, and, like, honestly, when Bitcoin, um, well, there's, there, there's a couple of, of digital currencies that, that had come out uh, in crypto, um, but when, when they had come up, like, I, I already had people telling me, hey, man, invest at this time, take out at this time. So I ended up telling my best friend about it and he made, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say how much, but he made more than, uh, five figures on, 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 uh, crypto. However, um, then, you, you know, it can, it, it completely fell. And th this is what a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people don't understand that these cryptocurrencies are controlled by rich people, elites. And the, uh, like, like this is one of the ways, and, and by the way, cryptocurrency was invented so that criminal activity could exist. And a lot of people don't, still don't understand this. Like it was used for, um, well, I, I, I'm actually not going to say it on, on, on air, but um, it was used for uh, really, really bad stuff. And right now, we're seeing um, huge fluctuations. And it's because uh, the cryptocurrency market, the digital currency market, doesn't have the restrictions that, um, y you know, your, your normal stock markets would, where, you know, uh, stock markets, you're only allowed to pull out a certain amount if, if you're in a company. Uh, cryptocurrency, it, isn't a, it, isn't, it wasn't illegal and still isn't illegal to take out, like, say, a million dollars at a time. So CEOs would, would go in, right, and, and this is legit fact, they would go in, they would take their money out, they would make it collapse, then they would take their money and put it all back in, uh, plus the money they made, and that, now, now the money they made would, would, would get enhanced, but everyone else broke, you know what I mean? So, yeah, like, I, I support, like, um, digital stuff, but... We are headed in a, in, in a day and age where my grandma w would have rolled over in her grave already three times over. Well, it's all about control, right? Yep. I mean, uh, and uh, I mean, this is happening in trucking as well. Uh, um, I actually uh, got grounded today because of a couple courses that I have to do in class. And if, if I don't do the courses in class, when I go back to work, on Tuesday, I'm on days off here in Lacombe, by the way, Alberta, Canada. Um, guess what? Brian doesn't get to drive. And I have no choice in the matter. All because an e-log malfunctioned and I pushed the button that said north of the 60 as opposed to south of the 60. And now I got to take two courses to continue to drive. Control. And yes, I will say that 100% over and over again. Oh, I disagree with I disagree with you, Brian. I disagree. It, it's because you're not a dedicated employee such as myself. <laughs> oh, <God>. Shots fired. <laughs> oh my God. I had to do the two courses too, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> yeah, in class. See, if you're no, not, running not a online. legal ELD, that would have never been able to happen. <laughs> you know what? You know what? 
because of that factor, they put in this new ELD. It's called Platform Science, and it's kind of to slap Brian's hands. But on the same <laughs> token, and that's fine. That's fine because the other ones suck. They're really good. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad I got a new one in there. But I, oh, I you've got the new one on it. Uh, I'm getting it. Yeah, it's, it's actually oh, okay. being put in. It was being put in today. So, uh, and then on Tuesday, I've got a, well, Sunday, I've got to uh, gotta basically call safety and uh, get the two courses organized so I can go back to work on Tuesday. Because this is my first time in probably the last four months that I've had more than a week off. So it's been very nice, very enjoyable. So speaking of which, I want to get into my topic, okay, uh, as long as you're done there, Will, talking about your criminal conspiracy crypto crap. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I put a nail in that one. Okay, so um, the CFIA, which is the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, um, they say Canada and U.S. meat inspections differ significantly. Of course they do. However, both factions are supposedly working the hardest to ensure that meat is free of contamination. But a U.S. audit of Canadian slaughterhouses conducted last fall found that meat inspections were not carried out on all carcasses as required for export to the United States. The U.S. Department of Agriculture found both systematic and sanitation problems during its most recent audit of Canada's meat, poultry, and egg inspection systems. The American officials say they were significant questions about Canada's meat inspection system, and most notable were Canadian government plant inspectors were not checking for residual feces and digestive waste materials on each carcass in slaughterhouses prior to export. Uh, the auditors noted that the government inspectors appeared not to be conducting carcass-by-carcass post-mortem inspections to ensure freedom from contamination. The United States Meat Inspection requires the carcasses to be inspected by a certified Canadian government inspector. They are supposed to confirm they are not contaminated before they are stamped, inspected, and passed. And this rule applies both to meat from the U.S., and carcasses imported into the U.S. The United States government, under the Biden regime, uh, temporarily banned Canadian plants from even exporting their products to the United States if these requirements will not be met. Biden's really big on, uh, on this, and uh, they are saying, the rumors are this, one day that we'll just go to the Canadian border, the Americans will pick it up, and we won't be able to haul in the United States. That's that's what Biden wants. Okay, um, I God, I hope it's not true. I really hope it's not true. Um, sorry, pardon my French, Mark. Um, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency denied the accusations, insisting Canadian food system is safe. On the contrary, between 2013 and 2015, the American Food Inspection Agency audit found 60,000 kilograms of Canadian meat and poultry products were rejected for numerous public health reasons. Canadian meat had been contaminated by manure ingestion, food from the animal's digestive system, or other bodily fluids such as milk to be a primary way for pathogens such as E. coli to spread. An E. coli outbreak, and I'm sure you guys remember this, if you don't, happened at XL Foods Plant back in southern Alberta in 2012. Janet, you probably remember that. Oh yeah, I remember that. 
for sure. It was detected by U.S. inspectors and led to the largest meat recall in Canadian history. 18 people in Canada got sick from eating that beef. And XL Foods was sold in 2013 to JBS. Now, this is something that's going to blow you guys away. Where do you think JBS is originally located out of? Janet, you probably know this, so don't say Yeah, I won't. <laughs> Mark, you have any idea? For J- JBS? Did you say no? I have no idea. They're located out of South America of Brazil. Oh, really? Actually, yeah, now located in Brooks, Alberta. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? Right? I, actually so, thought, I actually thought that they were Amer- based in the U.S. No, in not at all. That's because when they stupid. when they took over Brooks, um, it was the big thing, you know, taken over by an American company, right? No, not at all. <laughs> not even in the United States. It's Bob Kingston, president of the Agriculture Union, representing food inspectors in Canada, said he's not surprised at all by the American audit results. The main reason, now this is the one, Janet, you and I, definitely we've known about for the longest time, a dire need to hire many more frontline inspectors by the now Trudeau government. Okay. In the recent spring budget, the Liberal government promised an additional $149 million over five years, starting with $37 million in 2023. It is still unknown as to if more inspectors will will be hired, but it's quite doubtful, and it's not even proven yet. And I'm here to say, because I've hauled meat many, 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 many times. I used to even haul the swing of stuff. That was lots of fun. But um, uh, there just seems to be not enough inspectors. I don't know why the Canadian government will give, you know, millions and millions of dollars to things like the Ukrainian war, but, or Russia war as well, but they won't hire like two or three extra meat inspectors. And I know, Jay, this is why you hate hauling meat because it's not only political and fraught with so many, uh, you know, hurdles you have to get over, but you got to sit at meat inspection. If you miss it by that certain time, you're there all night. Yeah. And it makes no sense. Like why, why something so important that our meat that we are big exporters of, why don't we hire more meat inspectors? I don't get it. If anybody can clue me in why, please tell me. Well, I have I have something to interject here. I do know based on the loads that I took across the border over the last five years, um, most of the loads that I ended up having uh, rejected were binned meats. So those are meats that were designated for ground beef. Okay, oh, is, that, is that is that the ones where blood is coming out of your yeah, out of your trailer? Yeah, the people exactly. think you're a serial killer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and all this blood just poured out of the truck, and they're going, they're giving you the weirdest looks. Like, what you got in there? Yeah, but I can honestly say, out of all the loads that I've ever had rejected, uh, probably ninety five percent of them were the binned meat designated for hamburger. Yeah, yeah. And, and the I, reason the reason that that happens is because the hamburger meat is basically scrapped after oh, they nice. cut the main cuts, right? right? So after you've got your eye of round or your New York or whatever strip one, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's all the scraps that are cut off of there. 
right? So, so that's, that's what your Big Mac consists of? Well, it basically, because what it is, it's, it's not just one cap. So well, that would one, explain running. That explains running to the toilet after you have a Big Mac. And yeah, I'm going to say that because that happens every time. And, every and time. yeah, a lot of a lot of ours was going designated for McDonald's in the states for the. Well, that's the why they call it fast food. <laughs> yeah, the processing plant. But I I did notice that I I've only had one other load that was rejected, and it was boxed meat. And it was you know, but. With those binned meats, it's not just one cow that goes in there. In each okay. bin, you've probably got multiple cows. Nice. So you've got the, a higher risk, and this is why there's a higher risk with uh, commercially processed ground beef. Well, because it's you. not just one cow that's in there. It's multiple. They need to smarten up because um, it's not a question of if it's going to happen. It's oh, it a question of when. It's going to happen again. And when it does, and this is why I left the last employer that you, you're still with, yeah. is because they tied up their eggs in one basket. And guess what? When we had that Freedom Convoy, man, oh, man, we sat because they only hauled two things down there, French fries and beef. And that's why I left to go to a company that has over 200 products. They yeah. might not be they might not be the fastest company. They certainly have the best benefits, and they just recently got an award for being the safest, safest uh, company in Canada. We won't mention any names, but, um, you know, kudos to them. Yeah. But uh, I'll tell you one thing. If one thing doesn't work, we can always haul something else, and yeah. we have such a variety. And, and uh, too many trucking companies are relying on that beef. Like, look, look at a company like Lightspeed. Ninety-nine percent of their products are all beef. Exactly. What are they going to do if that happens again? They're 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 SOL. Well, they're, see, they're you done. look at done. you look at because you were talking about beef and fries. Well, okay, so yeah, we do the fries. Now, some of that is now being done by rail. So even that's been cut back, right? Oh, yeah. So, exactly. I mean, so now they're looking at, they're starting to go back to the basics, which they should have done a long time ago, right? The pandemic did trucking companies no favors. Absolutely <clears throat> none. Yeah, and a lot too has to do with hiring practices among the various companies. Um, I agree. Hire, hiring poor, poor management. We, we, we won't get into all that. We've, we've, yeah. We're almost out of time. Um, yeah. There's, I think, uh, one more topic is left, and who's got that? I've got the hydrogen trucks. All um, right. Jay, Jay, did you have another one yet? I have goat. Right, right, right. My, mine will also be quick, so. Uh, okay. And then, Jay, played. you can end off with the goat. Yeah. All right. It really bad. That sounded bad. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I actually do have it. So the hydro hydrogen trucks that they're bringing in, um, they're basically able to do longer trips with heavier loads. Um, unfortunately, not enough demand in our industry alone. So it will also be, they will also be looking at doing personal vehicles. Um, they're, Looking at possibly being able to utilize the current combustible uh, com combustible engine <laughs> um, and and just modify it for hydrogen. 
Um, and it will it will be at as near zero emission. So it'll yeah, it will allow existing engine designs to be utilized. Um, may not compete with fuel cells when it comes to miles per kilogram of hydrogen consumed. So uh, comparatively, I guess to uh, you've got the debate between whether it's going to be liquid hydrogen or gas. The problem with that is it'll be uh, for liquid hydrogen, it would be one tanker bringing it in, whereas it would be gas. Comparatively, it would be eight. So comparing liquid to gas for the amount consumed, right? So um, they're still looking at how to standardize uh, the fuel, how it's going to be carried, whether liquid or gas. Um, they find that it will be more, uh, the liquid will be more efficient when hauled. They're never, they're, they're looking at having both the regular electric vehicle as well as a hybrid of the hydrogen electric vehicle mix. So that's also a possibility that they're looking at. And, um, Let's see, four key conclusions on that. Um, they're looking at both the electric vehicle and the um, hydrogen hybrid. Um, they will both meet um, zero emission standards needed. Alternate fuels are still going to be needed, like diesel um, or renewable natural gas in order to be able to transition. Uh, decision on liquid or gas, they're still unsure of that, and they're doing testing this year on the first hydrogen truck. And I'm done. <laughs> cool. So um, in the interest of time, uh, my buddy Mark does get up early in the morning, so we're going to let Mark go. Uh, Jay, you can do your topic. Uh, Mark, it was great having you on tonight. And yeah, love your topics, and definitely looking forward to hearing more from you. Um, well, of course, you know, you'll hear more from me anyway. That's that's a go figure. But anyway, um, yeah, that was really good. Uh, do you have anything to add or a pylon shout-out before you leave? Um, first and foremost, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I really enjoyed being here tonight. It Pleasure. was uh, informative. It was entertaining. Um, going back on my and Brian's history a little bit was kind of fun. And, you know, that little look back. Um, it was. <laughs> I've, I, I've just recently... Um, well, I, you, Brian was telling me about pylon shoutouts. I'm not quite ready to chuck a name on the pylon, but I have a red pylon, I guess Brian would call it, that has turned my life around uh, in the last few months. And uh, to me, that is something that's been needed for over 30 years. So uh, there's a very special person that uh, will be attached to that soon. Okay. All right. Great having you, buddy, and uh, I'll be talking to you real soon. Sounds good. Have a good night, everybody. Enjoy your last topics, and uh, we'll talk to all of you guys soon. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Mark. Sounds good. It was a pleasure. All right. All right, everybody. Good night. Good night. Thanks. Good night. Good night. So I guess it's uh, my turn to speak, right? Yeah, I loved his topics. His yeah. topics were yeah. awesome. Yeah, great. Yeah, he, he added to the show. We had some fun. He really did. Okay, we are going to talk about gout. Um, a lot of truck drivers get it because we eat such crappy food. Um, 
at one point in time, it was considered a rich man's disease because only rich people got it because only rich people could eat good, like kings and, you know, diplomats, people like that. And anyway, what it is, is it's uric acid. Every, everybody has uric acid in their, in their body. Um, and the body creates it, uric acid, to break down proteins and, and stuff like that from foods such as uh, fish, beef, um, rich foods like uh, um, seafood alfredos and stuff like that. Now, what happens is you get a buildup because your, your liver can't, you're creating more uric acid than your liver can get rid of and you get these crystals. <laughs> now, what happens is it usually happens 80% of the people that get it are men, and it attacks, they usually get it in the big toe, and it is the most painful thing you'll ever have. It's, uh, I have friends that go, like, I got it, I got it right now, but I got traveling gout. It moves around from joint to joint to joint, like right now it's in my elbow, and, uh, is there a uh, funny goat? Kinda. <laughs> it, it, you, would think, you would think. You I know, can't resist. Uh, but I mean, it's it, it's. I like. I'm not like anybody. I can't be like everybody else. I have to do everything different. You know, um, when I first got it, I was uh, when I first found out I had it. I was actually trying to explain the pain to my doctor, and we were watching my hand swell up. And it swelled like a balloon. And he started laughing at me, and he said, "Yeah, you got gout." <laughs> I thought I was dying. I, I, I knew I, we were watching it. Um, I almost had to cut my ring off. It got so bad, and it's painful. Um, some people consider it um, more, uh, more painful than um, actually having a limb cut off. Okay, I, I thought you were going to say childbirth. I was going to say, "Don't go there." The pain, um, they get a measure of pain. Now, I don't know how quite they do it. It's um, a measure of pain. It's a pain measurement. Um, of course, the area of childbirth is somewhere you don't want to go. Yeah. <laughs> pain, pain, you don't. No, but, no, but pain-wise, it's, it's, it's up there. It's about four points under childbirth. Yeah, it's it's up probably it's where there's pain. Like, yeah, I get it so bad. It, like I got it, I had it so bad in my in my shoulder that I had to stick my thumb through my belt loop to keep my arm down. I couldn't even scratch my head. I couldn't lift my arm. Is it your right arm? It's both. I is get it, it all, I get it everywhere. I was, was going to say, is it predominantly more on the right side than on the left? It nope. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't, this is the first bout of it I've had in probably two years. Now, if you have gout, um, you got to be careful because it can lead to diabetes. Yes, it can. And worse, the worst case scenario, um, it can also lead to kidney stones. And nobody wants those. Nobody. No. Um, but if you do have it, um, and you're, you, sh you know, you should see your doctor. But if you do happen to not be taking medication for it, um, which I don't, I don't take medication for it anymore. There's no point because I just changed what I eat. I, I, I can't eat um, mushrooms. And uh, yeah, you're saying that's what brought it on. That's what triggers me. 
mushrooms, beer, certain beers. Um, um, alcohol is a, a, is a real big one, but it doesn't always affect everybody. Um, there's there's uh, seafood. Seafood uh, uh, triggers some people. I don't eat seafood, so I wouldn't know. Um, but uh, I can eat mushrooms, but I can't have them all the time. I just can't. And I had three meals that had mushrooms in them, and it just it triggered me right away. And I got it, of course. It started in my shoulder, and it's now down to my elbow. And thanks to your sinister dog ripping my arm off, right? <laughs> Um, my arm was funny. You know, it was, well, it was, it was, I've never seen a dog pull in two different directions at the same time. That's bandit. (laughs) Oh man. And, uh, but if you do have gout and you're not taking medication for it because you pretty much don't get bouts of it like, uh, very often and you do happen to get a gout attack, cherry juice. Black cherry juice works the works the best. Um, right away. Uh, within a few hours. Okay. Yep. Just drink some cherry juice. Pure jer- cherry juice. I can't stomach the. Uh, I can't stomach cherry juice. I don't like it. But do you put your big. Do you dip your big toe in the cherry juice too? No, oh, yeah, drink it, you boob. <laughs> you're not making. You're not making cherry wine yet, dummy. <laughs> oh, I don't know. But yeah, it, it's painful. It is painful. Yeah, according to the information that that I can see, it almost feels like um, uh, now. Now I don't have it, so um, I, I'm just trying to learn about it. But it, I, I guess it almost feels like whatever joints are affected have been like hit with a hammer, or you've like it, it, you you yeah. you broke a bone. So man, I I, I feel for you, bro. <laughs> I haven't had, when I first got it, when I first got it, I was doing uh, uh, deck work. And I was laying in the bunk one night, and uh, my knee swelled up so bad, I had to cut my pants. Oh, man. Like, I was just laying in the bunk watching TV, and it just came on so fast. Um, I had to, I had Deb with me, and she actually had to cut my pant leg so that I could get my pants off. And I couldn't stand up. And it was in my clutch leg, um, so I'm trying to I'm trying to drive my Pete with uh, one foot. Uh, I get it in my hands so bad that I couldn't shift. I'd have to shift with my left hand down under the steering wheel and kind of knock the. Uh, I mean, I had to improvise, and I didn't know what it was at the time. I thought I actually thought I had some rare disease, and I was dying. <laughs> you know, so it's like you know how women get fibromyalgia. It's kind of like it's kind of like um, God's little uh, little insult against men, saying, "Okay, I'm going to give you fibromyalgia for men. We're going to call it gout." But that's pretty much what it sounds like. Something similar, yeah. Except yeah, gout usually gout usually stays in one place. For it okay. to travel like it does with Jay is 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 not very common. And you have fibromyalgia, right, Janet? No. Oh, no, I've okay. got I've got nerve damage because of the back surgeries, and now because of my uh, my car accident back in in August when I got rear-ended. So yeah, no, it's, I'm it's totally different. To do next week. Well, that's a wrap.
that uh, I'm glad to, that you you actually finally told us what that is about because I for the longest time I did not know that much about it. I knew my grandfather actually had gout and he did have diabetes, by the way, and it was told originally to me that he died from complications from the gout, but that was not true. That was kind of the Passover things, but it is actually. Um, it is a fact that, of course, that if you have gout, you are very high susceptible to diabetes. That is true. Yes. yes. But I, I'm glad you, you told us that topic. And sometimes medical topics, you know, from you guys, and, and don't be afraid to say something that either you've had or you know somebody has, because it's really good to add that to our, our truck driver, you know, sister and brothers out there, because I guarantee you a lot of them suffer from these things. Oh, yeah. Especially truck drivers. We we uh, get like see. one in... One in two conditions we get every time. It's been a really good, informative show. We've learned a lot. It was. It uh, was. It was it really. It, I'll, I put this one in our top five again. It was a great comeback show, and um, looking forward to doing number twenty-nine when we actually will have Darby Mills first part one of the interview. With that, I'm looking very forward to uh, to actually putting on for you guys because it's uh, it's a heck of an interview I did with Darby, and uh, I know Mark takes a personal interest in it because he actually met her. So, so nice. Okay. So great. Um, uh, any pylon shout outs before we leave? Um, I've got a pylon shout out to Ramsey Animal Clinic here in Calgary on Spiller Road. Okay. Uh, do you want to add to that? Um, they were the ones that helped us with Faith when we finally had to put her down. Yeah, I'm and sorry to hear that, by the way. They were amazing. Good. Good, good to hear. That's really good. It's always good when you get good service from from companies as well. Um, Jay, you got any pylon shoutouts? Uh, no. Okay. All right. Will, you got a pylon shoutout? I mean, it, it, it's kind of, I'm not going to, like, I, I do, but I'm not going to name names. It's kind of both a blue and, and, and a red. There were, um, there were a bunch of, like, uh, we just unfortunately lost, um, uh w- one of our uh pets and i uh i don't know i i i was in a rough rough place like extremely rough place so um i i got to thank the, the 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 people who um came to my rescue because man there were um there were a lot of um ifs and ahs you know i hear you i've been there done that i've, I've worn the t-shirts too many times uh for the longest time, we were losing one dog every five years, and uh, that is rough, man. That is rough. Yeah, I had a friend recently lose three in one year. Actually, two yeah. friends. Yeah. Three in one yeah. year. Yeah, definitely. So maybe on a future uh, podcast, maybe we'll get either one of you guys to talk about uh, uh, something related to that nature uh, of that. So anyway, it's been a wrap. So we're going to wrap this up and looking forward to number 29 next week. Um, I'm just thankful that I'm at home and I'm getting my rest and relaxation and I'm just putting all that frustration behind me. Um, As a wise man once said these last words, this too shall pass.